you got your hand out this morning, go ahead and take it out, and uh, we'll spend some time working through our kind of final section here of First John. How many of you have enjoyed this? Oh, it's been such a good time. It's like March or April as we got started and been looking through this uh, book in some detailed ways. And, you know, it's just kind of like, uh, it seems to me like a, a, a farmer who's been doing the plowing of the plot, who's been sowing the seeds, who's been watering the seeds. And now John's kind of coming in for a landing because he's going to repeat a few of his things, but he's really going to drive home. It's almost like the harvest is coming up and John has the opportunity to build confidence. In fact, we're going to talk today about some of my favorite topics, assurance and confidence. These are two big words in the New Testament, two big words that the Apostle John brings out when he talks about our relationship with God. He does not want us to be fearful. He does not want us to be driven by wondering and wonderment. Instead, he wants us to know. That's why the scriptures are written, so that we can know God and love God. In fact, if you think about it, here's how it starts. The assurance of salvation. Jot that word in in your outline if you've got a a blank there to uh, include. Assurance that you are saved. Assurance that you are the Lord's. Assurance of your relationship with Him. Now, if you've never memorized this, just like we were memorizing the John 3 passage, this is one of those highlights for me. I write this, or these things, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may... Repeat that. So that you may know that you have eternal life. I just want to tear that verse apart for a minute as we think about our salvation, what we have. Now, when John wrote his gospel, he used a very similar phrase, but he said, I write this to you who may believe, that you may believe, John 20, verse 31, because the gospel was written to give us the faith. Now, he's writing this to those who've already believed. When you believe the gospel that John wrote about Jesus, that's the life, the, 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 the miracles, the power, the eventual death on the cross, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. That's what gives us faith in who Jesus is, the gospel. So he writes that and he says in John 20, 31, I'm writing this that you all may believe. He wants every person on the planet to have the opportunity to believe in Jesus. Now he's writing to those who believe, because what had happened was people had snuck in the church as uh, we would call it wolves in sheep's clothing. They had snuck into the church with heresies, with Gnosticism. We've talked about that several times now, with um, falsehoods and cultish ideas that were against the gospel. And so he was writing to these people to say, stay with it. I write this to you who now believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know for certain that you have eternal life. This is the plan of God for everyone, that you and I would have confidence. 
a question that I often ask people to get their, their thought juices going. Do you know for certain if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? Now, that's not the only thing he's talking about here. We're going to talk about eternal life being so much more than heaven. But that's a good question to get your juices going, isn't it? What do you suppose is the primary answer that people give when you ask that question? If you were to get hit by a truck out here today on the way home from church, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? First of all, I get this a lot. Well, no one can know for certain. Read that verse again. I want you to know that you have eternal life. It, it, it seems like God wants us to know. I get this a lot, too. Well, depends on that day. Have I, have I, have, has my good outweighed my bad? Has the bad outweighed the good? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now you're awake. I'm going to have Brent do that every couple of minutes. Is that all right? Woo! <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Uh, I get a lot of this uh, works-based answer to that. How good have I been? How bad have I been? And you notice nothing in this verse is about that. In fact, here's, here's how I want to put it. Assurance is for believers. I mean, he says in his gospel, I'm writing this so that you may believe. And here it says, I'm writing this to those of you that do believe. That's the audience here. It's not unbelievers. And last week we talked about how believing is a choice. Believing is a decision. You weigh the evidence. You hear the testimony. You hear exactly what it is. And then you decide, am I going to believe it? or disbelieve it. Now, I'm convinced that if you explore it, every person on the planet can make that decision to believe. Now, you may decide, I want to believe, but I don't want the consequence of being a believer. And a lot of people decide not to believe based on the consequence of that decision. You mean I got to follow Jesus if I believe in him? That's the point. That's the point. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. We read this last week. Who believes in the Son of God inwardly confirms God's testimony. Let's see. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. You make God out to be a liar if you don't believe his testimony because they've not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Look at that last verse. Whoever has the Son, what? Has life. Whoever rejects the Son, rejects life, does not have life. Do you know for certain, if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? Now, I mentioned that's not the only part of the question, but that's a really good part of the question. Because eternity should be on every one of our minds. Life is brief. Life is short. Life is fragile. How many of you know that? You know, it's in our prayer, prayer list. But uh, my brother Steve is over here, Penton. 
His wife just went home to heaven this week, died of stomach cancer. You know, we're praying for him, praying for them. Because what, it, I mean, a few, a year ago, she was fine. Now she's not on the planet any longer. Life is like that. We should be ready. And we should have the assurance in our lives. You know why? <laughs> because it's not dependent on us. We believe that's dependent on us, but salvation is dependent on God. He saves us, not on the basis of things we have done, but because of his goodness, because of his grace. Have you ever asked anybody that question? If you were to die tonight, do you know for certain you'd go to heaven? I encourage you. Think about it yourself, but then think about sharing it. How many of you have asked your kids that question? Maybe that's far more important than what they did today, how their work went, what they were up to recreationally, what the ball game score was. Those are all good things, but maybe we should be talking about eternal things far more often and our readiness and who it is that we're trusting. How can we know for certain? That's what assurance of salvation is all about. Assurance is for believers. Assurance comes from the object of our faith, not the faith itself. You know, we're not talking about um, faith saving you. Jesus saves you, and it's your faith in Him that makes all the difference. There are some groups that focus strictly on the, the, the value, the volume, the, the depth of your faith. But it's not the depth of your faith. It's the one in whom you're placing your trust. Does that make sense? But you know that he appeared that he might take away your sins. And in him, in him, there is no sin. In him, there is life. You know, a, a really fun second question I almost always ask people. Do you know for certain you're going to, if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven? The second question, this gets right to the to the uh, thing that they're trusting, the object of their faith. If you were to die, to, to, to die today, <laughs> a little tongue twister there, if you were to die today and you were to stand before God and he was to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Answer often given is, well... I've been a good person. I, I, I prayed before. And, and, and again, I'm not belittling those thoughts. But we've got to know salvation is not based on our behavior. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9? For it's by grace you're saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. Not because of works. So no man can boast. It is not based on your goodness. It's not based on your uh, worship ability or rituals you've been through. It's not based on what your parents did, how many times you've read the Bible. It's not based on your offering you've given. None of those things are going to be what you stand before God and say, you should let me into heaven because of this. There's only one reason, one reason only, that we can say to God, because the blood of Jesus Christ 
has cleansed me from my sins. Because my faith in Christ, it's not my faith in my faith. I'm such a big believer. No, it's my faith in Jesus. It's my trust of him. That's where it says, not because of works, so no one can boast. If it was based on our behavior, no wonder we would wonder every day, have I been good enough? Where's the scale? Oh, I'm a little better today than yesterday. I haven't quite sinned as much as last week. And we'd have this constant, God doesn't want the scales in our mind. He doesn't want us to be wishy-washy and every day wondering. He wants us to base our faith on Jesus, trust in him, and it makes a radical difference in how we live our lives. We live with confidence and assurance, not on our own goodness, but in his goodness. Not on our own works, but on his work on the cross. Not on our own bloodline, but his blood. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ would give us assurance because of the, he is the object of our faith. One other thing that comes out to, to, to me in this is the present possession that eternal life is. Even though that question is, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven, the afterlife? Notice 1 John 5.13, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you currently possess eternal life. Eternal life starts the moment you put your faith in Jesus. Now, it translates to heaven, but that's not why we trust Jesus, just to get to heaven. We trust Jesus for every aspect of our lives, right now, here, now, in the here and now. Not just the by and by. I think it was Thursday, I got a phone call from dispatch, and they said, could you go on a chaplain call, someone had passed away. So I went out in Yelm area and saw this lady. She's 95, and her husband had just passed away. And as we were sitting around her table talking, we were actually waiting for the team to come and pick up the, the f fellow who passed away. And uh, she said, could I sing a song for you? It's a song I wrote when I was 20. It was called In the Here and Now. I said, sure. I mean, unusual request, but yeah, 95, and she can still sing. <laughs> Just that's almost like a miracle. You know, she never lost her voice. Amazing, incredible voice. And the text of that song were for the moment that she was there. The here and now. You know? And the moment by moment, life. I don't know about you, but I hope to be at 95 thinking about what God's doing, what God's up to. And when my loved ones go ahead of me or wait for me to go ahead of them, there's an eternity at stake. There's an eternity, that, but it begins now. Eternity starts now. Now, this is eternal life. <laughs> Jesus said this in his prayer in John 17. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So here, here would be the essence of eternal life. Knowing God, knowing Jesus, knowing the Lord and having a relationship with him. 
So many times we've sold eternity as a fire insurance. This is for when you die. This is for when your body is done. No, it's designed by God to be our relationship with him that starts while we're on the earth and then extends. What's the Bible say? We get to see him face to face. We get to see him now through a glass darkly, through a a mirror with cloudiness, but then we'll see him without any obstruction. We'll be in his presence. That all begins right now. They may know you the only true God. You don't have to wait for heaven. You get that? You don't have to wait for heaven. We're all waiting for heaven in some ways, but life, you get life here and now and heaven too. You catch that? You get life abundant here and now and heaven too. And heaven too. Let's repeat that together. Heaven too. Heaven too. It's all of this and heaven as well, because this is eternal life. For while you were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, whom, and now much more, you're reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we are also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received. We have now received reconciliation. The reconciliation happens now, today. Enjoy life now. Have a right relationship with him now. Now, we would use this connection in other relationships. For instance, if you are married or not. You don't go up to someone and say, are you married? And say, I don't know. I I might be married. I mean, it depends on the day. You know, for most of us, you're married or you're not. It's a relationship description. God wants our relationship with him to be that definite. Not, well, I don't know. Are you saved or you're not saved? Are you in his love or not in his love? He wants you to abide in him, just like a married person. Well, look at John, this, this apostle. He heard Jesus talked to Nicodemus. And what did Jesus say to him? You must be born again. I mean, we all know if we're born or not, right? I mean, think about the example for a minute. Are you born? Well, yes, I've been born for 63 years. Okay? He wants us to be that definite about our born-againness. Does that make sense? It's not, well, I think I'm born again, but now we should be showing fruit, of the decision we've made to love God. We should be showing fruit of our relationship with him, but the relationship change should be that definite. I believe that's why God planned baptism at such a critical point in our, in our development. It is an initiatory, it's an initiative relationship with him. Say, well, yes, I'm born again. I started it the day I got baptized, or my belief culminated in the day I got dunked. In fact, that's often easier to say. When were you baptized? Well, when I was eight years old, when I was 10 years old, yesterday, whatever it is. But the key thing here is, what is your relationship? Are you saved? Are you born again? Are you Christ's child? That's what John keeps driving home. Are you his? And he wants that relationship to be clear and explained.
Well, let's move beyond the assurance of salvation for a minute. Let's go to our second one. It's our communication with Him. Our communication with God is our assurance of answered prayer. He puts this right in the same passage with our salvation. I write this to you who believe that you may know you have eternal life. And I want you to know you have God's listening ear. You have God's attention. He is, in fact, here's the, here's the verse. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he what? Hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. There's a sin that does not lead to death. Let's break this down a little bit because the assurance of answered prayer starts by our approach. He says, anyone approaching God. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. I'm convinced that this is why so many people are out of fear, are reluctant to pray, to spend time in their relationship with God. But this is the confidence we have in approaching God. I love this verse. Let us then approach. See that same verse there? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. Same thing. Confidence. That's con is with, and Fido, that has to do with faith, with trust. We approach his throne of grace with confidence, with trusting hope. That's what confidence really means. We approach his throne that we may find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. You see, just like God doesn't want us to hold this scale up and wonder if we're saved or not, he doesn't want us slinking into his, his, his throne going, God, I want to talk to you. I'm scared, but I want to talk to you. He says, no, not based on who you are, but based on what he's done. You can confidently go before him and say, you've asked me to talk to you, and I want to speak with the creator of the universe. I want to address you, my Lord and my God. What did Jesus say? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He wasn't shrinking back going, I'm so scared. He said, pray confidently. Pray with assurance. Not just that you can speak with him, but that he listens, and not just that he listens, that he loves to answer the requests of his children. That's the confidence we have. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Come with confidence as a forgiven son or daughter, not as a condemned criminal. Now, we do it humbly. It's good to, be, to not have pride, not to go like we're all of it, 
but at the same time to do it with confidence. Why? Because he is full of grace. This verse from uh, Hebrews, just before this part, he says, Jesus was tempted in every way like we are. And he was out saying, you can come to God in knowing that the one who's part of the prayer relationship is Jesus. He knows what temptations we're going through. He experienced them all. But he was victorious. So you're going to the victorious one. And the Bible says he was full of grace and he was full of truth. We find grace to help, mercy and grace to help in our time of need. So don't doubt his goodness. Approach God. Can I encourage you about that? Approach the Lord. Second thing, ask. Ask God. <laughs> you know, have you ever been part of a maybe a group prayer meeting where um, maybe maybe details about the event we're talking, but no one got down to the ask. What are we asking God for? You know, you can t- tell God all kinds of peripheral aspects and details and elements, but get down to what is in the essence here. God does not need information from us. You know, some people, they're telling God what the Scripture says, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, He wrote the Scriptures. He's probably not going, I didn't know that. (laughs) You're serious? That says that in the Bible? Man, I should probably act on that. You know, nothing wrong with bringing up God's word and claiming that as a promise, but, but detailing that instead of getting to the ask can be a problem. Now, sometimes when we pray, it's more of a worship prayer, just telling God how good he is. Enjoy that. I love telling God how good he is. And that's partly what Jesus started out with his prayer. Hallowed be thy name. You know, telling God how good and great and mighty he is. Sometimes when we pray, it's confession. Lord, I just really blew it. And there's no real ask, but maybe implied at the end is, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need your help. Maybe sometimes it's more of a, of a listening prayer. Sometimes God, I think, just wants to, us to come before him and just listen. Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, how are you directing me? How are you guiding? But ultimately, we need to be about asking. End with a request. So, Lord, I'm asking, what did Jesus say? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those. There was asking in the process. In the shortest of prayers, there should be even those shortest an ask. Not selfishness. Now, here's the uh, James passage. He says, why do you not get answers to your prayers sometimes? <laughs> you desire, but you do not have. You do not have because you do not ask God. You don't have because you don't ask. So often, boy, James just nailed it, didn't he? You know, we need to ask. But when you ask... <laughs> And even sometimes when you do ask, 
you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Spend it when we pray with selfishness, we can't expect the uh, answer as when we pray with right motives. And so he talks about some right motives here in this passage in 1 John. He says, if you see a brother or sister sinning, pray for them. Don't gossip about them. Don't judge them. To each other and pray for each other. We were, God's interested in us conforming to his will. And so scripture does that, but partnership is his key for us. Now, there's something in here that says sin that leads to death. A sin that leads to death and a sin that doesn't lead to death. And we're supposed to pray for those. There's lots of different interpretations for how that works, the, the, what he means by that. Some think it means from Matthew 12 where it talks about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit when you get to a point where you are attributing to God things that are from the evil one or attributing to the evil one things that are from God. There's a, there's a sense in which you have a hard time coming back from that. That can lead to death. Um, some in 1 Corinthians, it talks about some people who sinned so radically that God took them out. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias and Sapphira lied to God and to the church, and God took them out. Now, that's not a common event. It's unusual, and it's highlighted because it's so unusual, but that actually happened. The people in Corinth were abusing the Lord's Supper and their fellowship with one another, and so Paul says, that's why some people have already died, and you're kind of like, oh my goodness, you're taking this really seriously. He's taking this really in, in depth. We don't know all the details, and this is the main place that this is found. So you look for places that are taught in other scriptures, and there aren't a lot that have to do with this. So we hold it with kind of looseness in that sense. But Jesus wanted his followers to pray. Jesus wanted his followers to pray. So John had been following Jesus around and he saw Jesus pray. In fact, John was one of those who came to Jesus and said, what you're doing in prayer, we're not used to that. What you're doing in prayer, can you teach us that? Can you teach us to pray like you pray? Believers, you and I should be known by the radical relationship we have in, with God in prayer. Could I just encourage you? Approach God. Ask God. Ask according to God's will. Pray for your brothers and your sisters in Christ wherever they're at. Let's move on. The last one is uh, assurance of protection. We've got assurance of salvation, assurance of answered prayer, and now assurance of our protection in Christ. I'll read to the end, from 18 on. I think it's up there, yeah. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe. The evil one cannot harm them. Oh, I love that. 
keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. You need a place where that's found. That's a, that's a key verse right there. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God. He is eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. You know, God's really, really interested in us being confident and having assurance that we're protected. We shouldn't be running around with fear going, I, I, hope, I, I, I hope I don't succumb to the evil one. Be confident, and if you are in Christ, he will keep you. Keep trusting him. He is more powerful than the evil one who is in control of this world. I say it this way. God's kids are kept safe. Here's that verse. Every evil attack will bring me safely to his eternal and heavenly kingdom. To him be glory. Paul says in 2 Timothy God's kids are kept safe. Look at verse 18 again. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe. And from the evil one, no harm can come to them. God is protective of his kids. Let me build another one here. God's kids are controlled by God. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, he's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly the faith we profess. This is the verse before, let us approach God's throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One last one, God's kids understand his protection the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know Him. See, He's given us this understanding that we can know Him. Our relationship with Him is secure. We can find that out. We are in Him. He is the true, um, the true Son of God. He's the true Lord. By being in Him, we have eternal life. Verse 20, we are in Him who is true by being his, in his son, Jesus. Now he ends by this, whole, this whole section by saying, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And there's things you can do in your relationship with God, and the key thing is don't worship anyone. What did Jesus say was the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Worship him only. Keep yourself from, from idols. A couple of uh, Wednesday nights ago, we were sitting in the gazebo with the youth group. We are talking about Romans chapter 1, and in there it talks about idols and people turning themselves over to idols. And you're thinking of things carved out of wood. You're thinking of statues and, and various things. So I asked the kids, what are some idols of our time? I was actually amazed at the list they came up with. Of course, they said, you know, the pickup truck, you know, it's kind of your idol if you're a teenage boy and you want to 
build this thing? The typical answers. But some of them said some things that really were more unusual. They said, technology. For kids, technology can be... Some said, media. Close, but, you know. One of them said, politics. Politics are political. I'm listening to these kids. They understand about idolatry in our world because we're not bowing down to statues. <laughs> One of them said, the dollar. Oh, yeah, that's the Western world's idol. Bow down to the almighty dollar. He says, here's the thing you can do. <laughs> you know, Don't trust in yourself, trust in God, but keep yourself free from idolatry and you will find your relationship with God will flourish. So what are the three things? Assurance of salvation. Be confident that you are saved, that you're the Lord's child. Be confident in your prayer life with Him. You will flourish, you will grow, you will expand your heart if you trust in Him to answer prayer. And be assured of His protection. You do not have to fear that you're going to be lost in the crowd. Instead, he will, he will hold you. The Bible says no one can snatch you from his hand. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the leader. Let's stand and pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your promises that are so clear. Thank you for the confidence you give us, the assurance you give us of our relationship with you. Thank you that we can know for certain that if we were to die tonight, we would be with you forever in heaven. But thank you for the assurance that that relationship starts right now and it affects our prayer life and it affects our standing with you on a regular basis. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this body of Christ. May we bless one another. May we pray for one another. May we uplift one another like you've encouraged us to in this passage. Thank you for the Apostle John, his elderly brother, teaching us to love you in different, better, and new ways. Thank you for the promise you've given to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone who's not yet yielded themselves to you, that today would be that day that all of us would sense and surrender to your love. For it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. <laughs>